Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Yes, it's Mosin at Large, episode nine. I'm Jonathan Mosin, and I've had plenty of listener comments on issues that have been raised in past episodes, including the capitalization of Braille. That one keeps coming back. I talk about things that make your personal assistant go bleep and blind face. To get in touch, Jonathan at MushroomFM.com with an email or an audio attachment or give us a call, 864-60-MOSIN. That's in the United States, 864-606-6736. Hello, everybody. Hello. And Jonathan. What? And the other person who talked bad about soup. How could you? I could eat soup every day. Now, I don't like all kinds of soup. But last week I had a marvelous New England clam chowder. Two nights in succession. Speaking of food, I live in a senior facility. They have a salad, which is absolutely delicious. I had never heard of this before. Very berry salad. Now, Beth, what on earth? You are now talking about salad which is often divine, in the same breath. You, you said speaking of, I can't even bring myself to say it, soup, and then you move on to salad. Talk about a non sequitur, mate. It yeah. has lettuce. Yes. It has cheese. See, that's real food. One of the types of cheese is feta. Is that how you say it, it over there? It has onions on top. Feta? And you're calling it and feta? It has strawberries. And blueberries. Delicious. Mm, delicious. Favorite desserts. We haven't discussed that yet. No, because they're full Chocolate of carbs usually. Bundt cake. Yeah, see? That's B-U-N-D-T. And brownies. Not the cake brownies now. I don't like the bleh. I don't like the hard, crusty stuff they put on the cake brownies. I like the fudge brownies. When it's ooey gooey and oh my gosh, it's so good. Oh, full of carbs, mate. And Jonathan. What? You named your A-lady the S-word drinker. The S-word is wrong. I thought you loved soup so much that that's why you called her that. And I was going to congratulate you. Yeah. Oh, well, so much for that idea. Oh, by the way, thanks for sending the rain. We may... We may be out of our drought situation. I promised you I'd drop box you some. I have a question for you guys in the UK, New Zealand... Why do you guys, I've been hearing this for years, <laughs> Why do you? say things like, Amazon are going to do this. Apple, we're going to do that. No, 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 no. Companies are singular, I say. Apple is. Microsoft was. Explain to me, please, why you use were mm. and are. Mm. Okay, I guess that's about it for now. Yes, I think it is, Beth. So I think take you've, care, everybody. You, you've you've done enough. See you next time. You've done it. Yes, oh, you've done enough damage for one episode. Actually, I agree with you about this, and I do love questions like this. These grammatical questions. I confronted this one when I was writing the iOS without the i series, which by the end of it, of course, it ended with iOS twelve without the i. We had a whole style guide. A whole style guide. I've actually got, <laughs> I've still got the iOS without the eyes style guide. And um, I read, I remember the first one, which was iOS 7 without the eye. I was reading it back and I thought, hang on a, a bit here. I'm not being consistent. Because sometimes I'm saying 
Apple are doing such and such in iOS 7, or sometimes I would say Apple is doing this, and I thought I need to be at least consistent. So I did some research on whether companies are singular or plural. This is essentially what you are talking about. And the answer I got is that usually in the US, they are plural. In British English, they are actually singular. So according to the research that I've done, it's the other way round from what you are saying, Beth. I think the soup has gone to your head. That's your problem, mate. In reality, I think both are acceptable. But according to the Economist Style Guide, the Economist do some really good style guide stuff, and they're a British publication, and I read The Economist quite regularly. Uh, they say that companies should be singular. So you will be saying, you know, Apple is going to release iOS 14 next year, not Apple are going to release iOS 14 next year. But typically in the States, they use the plural. So um, there you have it. It's one of those... I think originally it was a difference between British English and what the US call English. Of course, Henry Higgins from Pygmalion slash My Fair Lady makes the point that in America they haven't spoken English for years. <laughs> and he may well have a point. But yes, it is a very good point, Beth, and I think people should be consistent. And I will try to use the singular for companies in future because I do actually agree with you. The reason why companies should be singular is that they are an entity. It comes back to, was it Mitt Romney who said corporations are people too or something? Um, so when you were talking about Apple as an entity, we should say, for example, Apple is releasing Apple TV Plus on the 1st of November. And they is. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, And they are. Yeah, so, so nice one, Beth. I'd certainly rather talk with you about this than blimmin' awful soup. There are a few better things in life that we can talk about publicly anyway than curling up and listening to just music that pops into your head, sort of stream of consciousness things on the Sonos in the studio, which I suppose doubles as a bit of a den. You know, I can come down here to the the ground floor of Mosin Towers and shut the door here in the studio. And it's at the, the very end of the house. And I... When I moved in, I chose this room for the studio because it's the most isolated. And in here, we have two Play 5s and a Sonos sub. And when I'm sitting here in front of the mixer, I'm right dead center between the Play 5s. And then we've got the sub, obviously, on the ground, boofing out the bass, and it's glorious. And then, of course, in the living room, we have the Play Bar and the sub and the two rear surrounds. And that sounds pretty glorious as well. And now there are so many ways that you can get Sonos to do things. You've got the wonderful Sonos app. And it's one of the joys of being in the Sonos ecosystem that Sonos gives you access to so many services in a really accessible way. And you can just search for things and come up with results across multiple music services all on one screen. It's wonderful. And these days... You can do other things as well. Like you can yell at your soup drinker and it, stop. You can, you can tell it to play whatever it is. What I like doing as well is using Siri. If you have certain Sonos devices, and unfortunately it doesn't work with all of them, you can tell Siri to play certain songs and, and using AirPlay. 
It will. And the reason why I like this is that you can sit there riding the volume control, your up and down volume controls on the iPhone itself and adjust the volume once you've got the AirPlay 2 connection going. So that's kind of nice because that's something that blind people do lose when they use the Sonos app when voiceover is running. So it's marvellous. And there I was just playing songs. I took the day off on Friday. It's a long weekend in New Zealand. Monday we've got off. It's Labor Day Monday. And I thought I'll take Friday off as well and have four days. Glorious. And I was just listening to music and random songs were coming into my head. And don't judge. I like a bit of the old country music sometimes. And I asked... Siri to play one of my favourite songs and boy did I get a shock I got a shock it, it went like this Play Honky Tonk Moon by Randy Travis Here's Tonk Moon by Randy Travis Now that's a very interesting response in itself because when I first started doing this when I asked on Friday to play that song it bleeped at me and if you try it I'm pretty sure it will bleep at you it said here's bleep Tonk Moon <laughs> and now because I've obviously tried it so often to show people who don't believe me it stopped bleeping now it doesn't bleep for me but I'm pretty sure it will bleep for you and so when I heard it doing this I thought, what the heck just happened? I was just completely stunned, stunned by this. So then I said, play Honky Tonk Woman by the Rolling Stones. Okay, let's hear Tonk Woman Stereo by Rolling Stones. And it's just extraordinary. And so what it's obviously doing is objecting to the word honky, which in isolation I understand is a sort of a derisive word for a white person. But the thing is, you would think that these smart devices would understand context, wouldn't you? I mean, honky-tonk is a very old word, and of course it does it with Honky Cat by Elton John. I'm sure there are lots of songs that have sort of honky-tonk references because, I mean, it, it's it's just extraordinary. And I mean... The BBC's been playing these songs for years, and if you can get away with it on the BBC, you should be able to get away with it anywhere. There's another one I came across, and maybe this one's a bit more marginal, on the jolly old soup drinker. Stop. Not ready for you yet. I remember we were playing it on the smorgasbord, and I wanted to just ask the drinker, about the origins of the song. Because this song came out in, I think, about 1966 when the Bee Gees were very young and it was their first big hit. And I'm absolutely sure that they meant no offence whatsoever with this song. It's just sort of an innocent, sweet little song. And, dude, that's a cool effect, isn't it? That's quite fun. Anyway, <laughs> just playing with the microphone button on the drinker. I'm absolutely sure that they didn't mean any offence. But then, so you say, soup drinker, play Spicks and Specs by the Bee Gees. And Specs by Bee Gees from Jonathan's Apple Music. We might be treated as grown-ups, don't you think? Because if we ask for a song... Presumably, we're not going to be offended when our smart device repeats the title of the song 
back to us. Absolutely amazing, especially when we're talking about something as innocent as honky tonk. And I mean, that's just that's just incredibly ridiculous, especially when it doesn't bleep out the word soup. Jonathan Mosen, Mosen at Large Podcast. Here is a message from Aaron. And its subject is Braille displays with a lowercase b. He says, I wanted to get your input. Well, technically it would be output. (laughs) On an interesting topic, how do you situate... Oh, there's got a capital B this time. A Braille display and a keyboard. I am known for having my keyboard, which is a Microsoft ergonomic keyboard, on the bottom of my desk. See, that's a good thing to be known for. I mean... I wish I was known for such heights. Wish I was known for that. Then my Braille display is on top. I will sometimes switch them around depending on how I'm feeling. I'm running a Braille Sense U2. Unfortunately, he says I don't have the luxury of wireless yet. What would be your suggestion for less hand movement as possible from Braille display to keyboard and back again. Well, and, and that is Aaron Linson. Aaron, I think that th- my suggestion would be use what makes you feel most comfortable. In my situation, here in the studio, I've got one of those mechanical keyboards, a steel series mechanical keyboard with cherry switches. And yes, I have to be very careful when I'm using the keyboard not to make it too noisy. Luckily, we have very directional mics in here, but I love typing. And I got that mechanical keyboard when I was doing a lot of writing. And I just love the clickiness of it, the travel of the keys. I love it so much, I actually got a mechanical keyboard at my office. Now, my new office at work, I got another one, and uh, it's a Logitech one. And I kept this mechanical keyboard here in my studio slash home office. I think you should just use what feels comfortable for you. In my case, though, I do have my Focus 40 Blue parked in front of the keyboard. I find that quite useful. And when you're using JAWS, you can, of course, if you choose to, get very familiar with all the Braille commands and control the whole thing from your Braille display if you would like to do that as well. So you do have that option. And I guess with a lot of other uh, screen readers. Hey, Jonathan, this is John Wesley Smith. From Missouri in the States. John Wesley Smith. That's a great name. You sound like you should be president of the United States in the 1770s or 80s or 90s with a name like that. John Wesley Smith was the ex-president of the United States. Anyway, sorry. Hello, John. Welcome. And a question for you. Where did you get your jingle for your uh, at-large podcast? They did a nice job on it. Um, they come from Jam. If you're going to get jingles, you may as well invest in the best. So Jam, of course, is a great jingle company. They do, in my opinion, the best jingles in the world. And so when I was thinking about synthesizing the Mosin Explosion radio show and creating a podcast out of it so I could sort of stay in the podcast space and keep in touch with people, I thought, all right, then let's have a talk to... Uh, Jonathan from Jam, who's a who's a legend. A legend is what he is. And, of course, they also own all the old Pams of Dallas Cuts now as well. Uh, so that's, that's where they come from. And, yes, they've done a stunningly good job with those jingles. As far as food, oh, uh, yeah. since it's around that uh, holiday time, um, I love fruitcake. 
Now, I know there's a lot of people that make fun of it. They don't like it, but I love fruitcake. Good for uh, you. Unfortunately, I am on a uh, low-carb, low-sugar diet right now. It's not quite the keto diet. It's um, more or less a low-FODMAP, F-O-D-M-A-P diet. I'm not a purist about it, as I probably should be. But anyway, I'm not going to probably have much fruitcake this Christmas. But as far as um, Halloween candy, I've never been a big fan of candy corn up until a few years ago. And my wife came up with the idea of mixing candy corn with dry roasted peanuts. Oh, my goodness. I could eat the stuff by the pound. (laughs) (laughs) And as far as browsers are concerned... I have been using the Brave browser, B-R-A-V-E, for, I don't know, two or three months at least, and I made it my default browser. It is Chrome-based, works beautifully with JAWS and NVDA. Keep up the good work. Take care. But I feel like you've left me in suspenders here, John, because why? What attracts you to this particular browser? It is cool that we have these choices of browsers that are based on the Chromium engine. And I finally took the plunge this week, in fact, and I have uninstalled Google Chrome. You know, it has things that run in the background and you know things that just make me nervous because it's Google. And so I have uninstalled Google Chrome on all my machines and devices now, and I'm running the Microsoft Edge Chromium Beta as my browser full-time, and oh, it's fantastic. It's so fast and just gets the job done. But now you've got me intrigued about this browser that I have not heard of before, but I'd like to know more about it. Perhaps you can call us back and tell me what it is about that particular browser that you like. Well, we have an email from a true legend. It is Ramona Mandy. Yes, it's true. Who'd have thought? I had no idea that Ramona Mandy was lurking out there listening on the podcast. And she, of course, is a major Braille aficionado all the way from sunny Australia, from Australia. She's a well-respected figure in assistive technology. And I know that she's passionate about her Braille. So this is very exciting. And her email is entitled to be or not to be with just a capital B in either case. And she says, g'day. Jonathan, as a Brailophile, I celebrate any honouring and respect shown for the fantastic work of Louis Braille. I recognise that such appreciation can be shown in many ways. I think it is a great compliment to a person if their name becomes an everyday household name. When this happens, sometimes the capital initial letter is dropped, but I do not think... It usually is due to disrespect. For example, take the sentence, I found my biro on the floor whilst I was hoovering. Most people would understand this to mean I found my pen on the floor while vacuuming. I do not think they would question the absence of the capital from the words biro or hoover, even though they derive from their respective inventors' names. Brand names also become generic terms and may or may not lose their initial capital, such as Kleenex. They may even morph into different parts of speech, such as the verb to Google. Or is that still capitalized Google? Maybe in the future we'll be saying something like she or he really can mosen, meaning podcast well. 
Uh, you flatterer. <laughs> so while the dictionary and usual common convention is to capitalize Braille, I think it is an unfair conclusion to judge those who don't use the capital B as being disrespectful. What's more important is to get the word out there, no matter how it's written. Keep on mosening along, says Ramona. Well, that was a very cogent argument, Ramona, and it's good to hear from you. I still disagree with it. <laughs> and the reason why I disagree with it is I think that the story of Louis Braille, the person, should be communicated whenever possible. And we should always remind those people who are being introduced to Braille about the man Braille by capitalizing it. The fact that it is a code that was invented with considerable sacrifice by an individual who we honor. Because when you think of the impact of the two things that you mentioned there, the biro and the hoover, sure, they have become ubiquitous, I guess, in our lives, but they're not responsible for a whole mode of literacy. They're not responsible for taking a whole class of people out of illiteracy. They're not responsible for creating so many opportunities for vocational and societal advancement as Louis Braille. And nor did they have to make the sacrifices and endure what Louis Braille endured. So what I'm signaling is, I think what Louis Braille sacrificed to give us his priceless gift is far more worthy of honoring by capitalizing the B whenever we refer to the code than either of those examples. I really do. When you think where blind people as a class, if I might use that term, would be without him, I think he deserves the capital B. I think the code deserves the capital B in every single case. But I do think that you summarize the counter argument very well. So good on you. And thank you for listening. And the one thing I would also add is that I think that this is a choice that we as a community should make not based on precedent necessarily, although we also have Samuel Morse and Morse code, which, as I've said in previous episodes, is often capitalized with a capital M. We should decide what is appropriate in this case to honor Braille the code and Braille the man. Now, an example I'll give of this is the word deaf. Deaf people, as a rule, as a community, prefer that when you talk about somebody being deaf, you capitalize the D. That's the decision that they as a community have made. And I would submit that we as a blind community should make the decision, forget precedence, anything that we are so proud of Braille the Man and Braille the Code that we will always capitalize the B. Mosin at Large Podcast. Pam Quinn, the mighty Quinn from Iowa, she says, here's a bleeping example in which the programmers took it upon themselves to treat us like children. I couldn't believe it. Some time ago, I bought some text-to-speech voices for the computer program Text Aloud. 
I was listening to a book read by Kate. Ah, yes. The Kate and Paul voices were from Neo's speech. When I heard, who the beep are you beeping with, you stupid beep? I went into the pronunciation dictionary and sure enough, every expletive under the sun was there, replaced by the word beep. Going through and deleting all of them was quite an experience, let me tell you. I just found it totally unacceptable, says Pam, that they would do that. It also gets on my nerves when I'm watching a TV show like Cops, for example, when every other word is bleeped out. If they think they need to fill a segment with so many beeps, why bother showing it at all? Look, I I agree with you. Um, I remember taking the day off the Mosin explosion for the 45th anniversary reunion of Monty Python. And I went to some lengths and lengths over this. I managed to get a subscription to the Sky online service in the UK where they were going to show it. And we had everything all connected. I think it was it was pre-Sonos. So we had everything connected and we were making a big event of it. We had people over. It was going to be really exciting. And then the Monty Python thing came on live from the O2 arena and we were just so excited about it. But because the performance started before, I think the magic cutoff time was 8.30, if I remember correctly, in the UK. They have this regulator called Ofcom that says if there's any naughty words or anything like that that uh, occur before that preset bedtime, you have to censor them. And it wasn't only that there were things that were bleeped out. They actually had to cut away from the show because whole segments of it were deemed too offensive to screen before that magic hour. I'm thinking, this is absolutely crazy. Whatever happened to parental responsibility? If you don't want your kids watching Monty Python, I mean, we know that Monty Python can be edgy, then make sure they don't watch Monty Python, but don't spoil it for those of us who were looking forward to watching live this 45th anniversary reunion. It was absolutely ridiculous. And I I felt gutted by it because we were just anticipating it so much. And then a few days later, they replayed it. They replayed the whole thing at a later hour. And I managed to record that. And that was uncensored because it was somehow after the naughty witching hour. Crazy. Pam also continues. Question about iOS 13. I have yet to upgrade because I use Braille with a capital B. Yes. Screen input on a regular basis. I've heard that after upgrading, some people have had problems with that and it doesn't work the same. Has this been your experience? Pam, in a word, no. Braille screen input is still rocking for me in the way that it always has, so I do not know what to say to you. Perhaps those who are having problems with Braille screen input after upgrading can tell us what the change is, but... For me, and I, I have to say, I use browse screen input a lot, but I, I exclusively use it in tabletop mode because for me, that's just so intuitive because the keys are laid out like the Perkins. And in tabletop mode, using contracted input, I have not experienced a problem, but it would be great to tease this out and get more information from people about what the issue is. David Harvey 
is in Auckland, I'm presuming, in New Zealand, and he said, I asked my Echo and iPhone to play Honky Tonk Moon, and Siri beeps out Honky when I asked her to play it, but says the full title when I Shazam. Yes, and also, Siri on the screen, when you ask for these songs about Honky Tonks, shows asterisks. So it has H star star star, I think it is, something like that. Sarah Hillis is being controversial. She says, what about Louis's last name? We don't actually pronounce it correctly in English. Is this not a form of disrespect? Just thinking, not castigating. I personally think it's different because it's anglicized it, you know. I, but, but all right, I'll, I'll be interested in other people's opinions on this. Andy says, I definitely agree with your Braille argument. The NFB, by the way, is also on this side as far as I'm aware, although I do see both arguments. Really, I don't, I don't know what the NFB's position is on this, but yeah, it's something I feel quite passionately about. And I kind of think it's one of those things that should be put to a vote, When you have these organizations like Banner, the Braille Authority of North America and their equivalents in Australia and New Zealand, etc., they really are looking after Braille and trust, aren't they? I mean, they don't own Braille. I appreciate that there has to be an arbiter on code changes and, and that kind of thing. But I do think there's actually quite a bit of feeling out there about the disappearance of the capital B in Braille. And I'm not sure they have the mandate or the right to do it. And I think if they were being sensitive to the depth of feeling about this, they would actually put it to a vote. Hey, Jonathan, it's Tiffany. I've actually missed the last few weeks of the explosion. Did you bring a note? I recently moved and I can't get the echo connected to the Wi-Fi here. No. But I've still been able to keep up with the podcast. Um, Speaking of foods, I would say my favorite food of all time is called the Hometown Special. It's a type of pizza. You can get it down here at my local pizza place. Let the hometown And it has a bit of everything on it. The sausage, I think. Um, Cheese, tomato sauce, and you can taste all the flavors. It's really good. Would be better without the sausage, in my opinion, though. As for foods that are disgusting, that's an easy one for me. It would have to be eggs. I've never liked eggs. The taste, the smell, and the texture, it's all just disgusting in my opinion. So that's my opinion on food. See, thank you, Tiffany. And it just goes to show that diversity is the way forward. I do get what you mean about the smell. There are certain smells about eggs that I do hate, but I must tell you, I do love a good omelette. The other day I was at the office and I got omelette for lunch from this breakfasty place that was still serving and it was full of ham and cheese and onion and all sorts of yummy I think there might have been a bit of bacon in there as well and lots of lots of egg of course and the whole thing I don't like eating scrambled egg on its own I must say but just the omelette on its own with the fluffiness of the eggs and all that good filling of low carbness it just put a spring in my step it did but anyway we love diversity hello jonathan says christopher wright as we make another trip across the pond hello christopher wright 
First, it's awesome. You're podcasting again. Keep up the excellent work, he says. I'm responding to your comments regarding the horrendous state of voiceover support for Catalyst apps on the Mac. This should be fun. Here we go. Oh boy, I'm braced for it. (laughs) The idea of Catalyst apps is super awesome. I was looking forward to using apps like VoiceDream Reader, Bard Mobile, and Timecrest. What is Timecrest? I don't know that one. On the MacBook Air, now I'm curious. I'm disappointed, but not surprised to learn about this. It has been clear for years that the Mac platform is stagnating and VoiceOver is along for the ride. I strongly suspect your idea that Apple knew there were accessibility issues but chose not to fix them is correct. This seems far more plausible than the other idea concerning a lack of testing, although this may be the case as well. If one or both of these things are true, this demonstrates an unbelievable level of incompetence. There are also other problems that have existed on the Mac for years, including extreme lag when switching to Nuance vocalizer voices, voiceover constantly saying busy in Safari, which can lock up the entire system, and most disturbing of all, severe issues using the Siri voices with voiceover. I have found that the voices not only lag when selected, but seem to abruptly cut off when navigating. This makes it impossible to use the screen reader with these voices, and that is beyond unacceptable. You're absolutely right when you say these bugs would be fixed pronto if they impacted sighted users. I've given up on the Mac platform, says Christopher. I've reported numerous issues and feature requests for over five years with no resolutions or truly innovative feature additions. I even tried contacting Tim Cook directly, but this led to nothing. The last significant update to VoiceOver was in Mountain Lion, released over half a decade ago. It is truly sad to see the Mac and VoiceOver stagnate like this. I started using the Mac with Snow Leopard, and have even tried Tiger and Leopard. While VoiceOver was in its infancy at that time, it was vastly superior to Narrator, demonstrating Apple's impressive work up to that point and conveyed the idea there was so much untapped potential to do great things in future. Sadly, those days are gone. It is clear that Apple's future lies with iOS, and I wouldn't be surprised to see an ARM Mac running a modified version of iPadOS released within the next few years. Fortunately, my MacBook Air runs Windows 10 and NVDA in boot camp like a champ. Macs are really awesome Windows computers, although the GPD Win products might blow them out of the water depending on your use case. However, the GPD Win is for another topic. Thank you once again for the podcast. I enjoy your thought-provoking topics and look forward to every episode. Thank you very much, Christopher. I pretty much agree with all of that, and I could see the writing on the wall, and that's why I abandoned the Mac platform in 2016. I think you make an interesting point 
when you compare Narrator and what's going on with VoiceOver on the Mac and how Apple clearly had such a massive head start over other mainstream companies. They really did teach other companies what was possible and what they should be doing, and they should be forever remembered and congratulated for that. But have you noticed the engagement that companies like Microsoft and Google are now having with our community and that Apple continues not to have? Microsoft are very active on Twitter with their Microsoft accessibility account. And a few weeks ago, I can't remember how it came up, but something they said prompted me to reply to a tweet and point out that some of us have been having some pretty serious issues with audio on newer Windows laptops. And this seems largely attributable to the Realtek drivers that are being used on some laptops where in a kind of a battery saving mode, they switch off the sound after just a couple of seconds of silence. But what it means is that if you're doing word processing and like me, you have your keyboard echo completely disabled so that you can just type away. I don't have word echo on, I don't have character echo on, and I just type away. And when I want my computer to speak back something, I ask it to with one of the many JAWS commands. And what this means, though, is that you get a slight delay and a click and then the sound card kicks in and it's annoying. Now, there is a little tool that someone wrote called Silenzio that fixes this by essentially sending silence to the sound channel and keeping it open. And as far as I can tell, it doesn't seem to really impact battery life very much. And if it's impacting battery life at all, I would far rather have the impact on battery life, which seems fairly minor, than the problem. So I run Silenzio and, and um, I have when I'm at work, I connect my laptop, my HP Spectrefolio, which is a glorious machine. I connect that to um, a Thunderbolt type dock thing. But when I'm mobile or curling up on the couch, I run Silenzio. The, the Thunderbolt dock thing has its own sound card that doesn't exhibit these problems. Anyway, I mentioned on Twitter this audio issue and how it was affecting quite a few people and it got a number of retweets in other words people were saying I agree with you it's always nice to be agreed with now the thing is though where I'm going with this is that Microsoft responded and they said yeah we're aware of this and we are having a talk with Realtek about this and seeing what can be done so there's engagement right there if you are in the Google ecosystem or you're interested in being in the Google ecosystem you can have similar dialogue If you are brave enough to go on the Eyes Free Google group, (laughs) which is massive in terms of the throughput, and uh, I think the signal-to-noise ratio is a hell of an issue on that group, but Google are there. Developers are there, blind people who do the good work and, and work for Google and try and make our lives better. They are there too, and so are some sighted people. And so you can have some dialogue with them about some of the issues that you might be confronting and you know that you will be heard. And I've actually had situations when I was working for Ira, which is a Google ecosystem company. So they use Google Docs, uh, G Suite, basically. They use G Suite. And I had some issues there and was able to have some dialogue with Google, narrow down the problem, and they got it fixed. Absolutely amazing. Now, contrast that with these very 
expensive Apple devices that do work on the whole so well. And I think that's why we persist with them. And you have a problem. And believe me, we're not short of them right now with iOS 13. Not lucky for some of us. And so you try and contact Apple. You write to the accessibility email address and then either tell you, thank you, we'll sort of, we've noted this and we'll be in touch or whatever, or they might say nobody's reported this before and try and make you go through all sorts of hoops when you know it's nothing to do with your system because you've had discussions with people and you know it's a, it's a general, it's a general issue. But they sort of take you through these hoops anyway, as if you might be to blame. And there's no, to the best of my knowledge, Apple accessibility account on Twitter. There is an Apple support account. And actually, to give credit where it's due, they will engage with you. If you contact Apple support on Twitter, they will respond. It is a channel that they they use. Although I have not ever found the responses particularly helpful. I have recently discovered that the best way to get really good support from Apple is to use their accessibility 800 number. Now, there is not an 800 number that I found in New Zealand that gets you through to Apple accessibility, but you can call on many mobile plans in New Zealand, Australia numbers for free, and that's how I call. And I've had a couple of calls with Apple over iOS 13 issues. And the phone support I have had from the Apple accessibility number has been absolutely first class. So if I have an issue that's serious enough and I know I'm dealing with a bug and I can really clearly explain and demonstrate that bug, now I do call the number. They lodge a case. If they need to, they will call back in a few days and they will tell you exactly when they're going to call back and they do. So the phone line, in my experience, is a fantastic way to get support from Apple. But the social media, if that's your choice for engaging with companies, is really lacking to, well, non-existent, I think, when it comes to accessibility support. But where I'm going with this is, you know, there's an opportunity here. If Google were ever to give us a screen reader that incorporated Braille into the screen reader in the same way that ChromeVox does on the Chrome OS, if they enabled multi-touch gestures for talkback alongside implementing Braille support right into the screen reader, I think Apple is actually particularly vulnerable at the moment. Google is looking a gift horse in the mouth right now because people feel trapped. Not everybody, but a lot of people are starting to feel trapped. And um, I just think if Google did that little bit more, gave us a truly viable screen reader, incorporated good quality Braille right into it as well, you just get the feeling that it could be the Apple IIe and DOS all over again. And if you're old enough to remember, you will remember the exodus, the exodus that took place when people just moved to DOS en masse. Brian Gaff says, I noticed today 
when I needed to open multiple folders in and outside of Dropbox for some updating that they had in their infinite wisdom to change the function of the Dropbox shortcut and indeed the tray one as well. It now opens some tree views with loads of verbose info about the folders. But the menus do not announce when opened, and some of the parameters are either blank or unknown. What's happened here, Brian, is you have been lucky enough to receive the new Dropbox update, which is rolling out progressively and has been for a few months now. I still don't have it, I'm pleased to say, but it wouldn't affect me terribly much because what I do to get to Dropbox is always go into Windows Explorer, or is it called File Explorer now? Oh, yes, we've got to get with the times. File Explorer in Windows 10. And I've pinned the Dropbox folder to my quick list. So I just go into File Explorer with Windows E and then type DR to get to Dropbox and press enter and I'm in my Dropbox folder. But for those people who use the Dropbox shortcut URI, what's happening is that they're trying to create a Dropbox experience. So they are coming up with their own way to browse folders and it's supposed to promote collaborating on documents and all that kind of stuff. So yes, if you want to avoid it, then use a shortcut to the actual Dropbox folder. I have not seen this yet, but I've heard from several sources that accessibility could be better. Let's go to an airport. Hello, Jonathan. This is Gary O'Donoghue. Oh, Gary. Uh, and I wanted to send you a quick message, a uh, rather noisy environment for which I apologise. I'm in the, the lounge at Heathrow waiting for a, a flight and I'll be in the air while your show is on air. So oh, my word. I can't listen to you live. Um, I wanted to let some of Braille users of iOS know that one exciting uh, fix that I've discovered in certain 13.1 um, which I'm running on a sort of second phone, is that ever since I think iOS 11 at least, uh, when you've used a Braille display to enter text in the native mail app in the body of a message uh, and had speech on your iPhone, it wouldn't echo the text back as you typed it properly. Absolutely absurd error that I complained countless times about and nothing was ever done. Well, that seems to now be working uh, to... Uh, major software releases later. So if you type in the body of a, uh, a message in the native mail app from your Braille display with the speech on your iPhone switched on, you will hear it echo the text back that you typed and that wasn't working. The only other thing, Jonathan, I've got to say is, well, I'm sorry, there was the cricket and now there's the rugby. Swing low, sweet chariot. That's outrageous, because in the morning, I wake up, funnily enough, and I, especially on the morning of the show, I sit and have some coffee, some ketogenic coffee full of healthy fats like butter and things like that. And I go through the messages that inevitably come in overnight before we put the show together. And I saw the email from Gary O'Donoghue there, and I said to Bonnie at the breakfast table, Bonnie at the breakfast table, I said, I bet you it's Gary O'Donoghue bloody trolling me. And I opened the message, and there he was, yammering away about iOS 
13. So I stopped the message about probably three quarters of the way through and I thought, oh, that's very disciplined of Gary, but there was a sting in the tail. Well, let me tell you, Gary O'Donoghue, and for those who aren't aware, Gary O'Donoghue is referring to New Zealand being absolutely outperformed, trounced, thrashed in every aspect of the game of rugby by the English team knocking New Zealand out of the World Cup and the way England played and the way New Zealand played deservedly so. The All Blacks, New Zealand's national rugby team, and rugby is a bit of an obsession in this country, have won two consecutive World Cups, but the New Zealand team is going home, outperformed in every way. I have no problem whatsoever congratulating unreservedly England on a well-deserved win. You outplayed us. You were brilliant. We were not up to the task. What I will not concede for a second is that you have any rights at all to the Cricket World Cup. No, I will not. And the reason for that is that every other one-day international I have ever watched where there's a tie and they need to go to some system for resolving that tie, resolve the tie based on how many wickets each team lost, not how many boundaries were scored. And based on that formula that is applied in every other case, New Zealand are the World Cup cricket champions. So I will absolutely concede when we've been legitimately outplayed, you do not deserve the Cricket World Cup. You do not. Andy says, Pam, I haven't had any problems with Braille screen input. It's my preferred input method, especially for long texts, etc. Tabletop is IMO, the best way to use it. Oh, there we go. We have consensus on that, Andy. Podcast. Here's Kathy Blackburn. Blackburn singing in the dead of night. Yeah, she's in Austin, Texas. She says, we don't have the Apple TV device, but there is the TV app on our iPhones. Yes, Audley is at last a citizen of iPhone land. Insert explosion here. All right, we'll insert the explosion here. You're exploded, Audley. On to my question. I heard yesterday that Apple TV was coming to Amazon Fire TV. I believe it's there now, actually. And I hope to the other Fire devices. If that's correct, would we be able to watch Apple TV's content on our phones or our Fire TV Cube? My understanding, Kathy, is that what you'd be able to do is exactly what you can do with the TV app on your phone. Namely, that when Apple TV Plus comes along, you will be able to subscribe, assuming you're not entitled to a freebie as a result of some recent device that you've purchased, and watch the original content that Apple is creating on that device. Apple is going a pretty unique route. They're not purchasing a back catalogue, all the stuff that you'll be able to watch on Apple TV Plus starting on November the 1st is new stuff that they have created. I believe that's what you will be limited to doing on the Apple TV app for your Amazon Fire TV. 
the full Apple TV, of course, has other apps that you can run, like YouTube and Netflix and things, but I'm sure that they're on the Fire TV as well already anyway. So, yeah, if you don't want an Apple TV in your life, you would still be able to watch Apple TV Plus either on your phone or on a compatible Amazon device. Hello, Mr. M. It's well, J-Dog here with Prince. Say hi, Prince. Say hi, Mr. M. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Okay, now he's just taking the phone. Well, he's Can growing up. Phone back, please. No, no. He's no, no, no. He's growing up. Oh, oh dear. And okay, my my question. Okay, I'll, I'll see if he does. Okay, phew, I got the phone back. <clears throat> okay. My question is about password vaults, I guess. Uh, I don't know exactly what to call them. What's better, in your humble opinion, iOS keychain or iCloud keychain or 1Password? I'm seriously considering dabbling into 1Password because I've got a $20 credit from there, which will give me about a three-month, I'm sorry, a five-month uh trial of one password i've got all my passwords i was able to get all my passwords from icloud into one password or at least i was you know able to import them and then i can't do anything with them they're all in there but i can't edit them or anything because i don't have a thing but uh what's better and um how do you autofill your password, you know, with in Safari on the Mac, which is my primary use of usage, you do what is it? Command Shift A, yeah, Command Shift A, and then it auto fills it. Um, it doesn't automatically. Well, hold on, Safari automatically logs you in on the desktop, but on iOS it doesn't, which is very interesting. I think it used to back in um, early iOS twelve or eleven or whatever days, but it doesn't now. And then for that matter, how do you save? Or how do you get a new password into one password? Um, because for me, I have to click the one password icon and then I have to act like I'm creating a whole new password scheme, which I shouldn't have to. Like, you know, I have to enter my username and password in a website again unless I'm doing something wrong or doing something that I don't need to do, which is highly possible. And by the way, yeah, if you want to call me every day, you can. I don't care. You have my phone number. And even if you don't, <laughs> you should. It's interesting, though, speaking of calling people, I called Vodafone NZ one time. So Why? So to say NZ-ish. And I actually got an American. <laughs> They're everywhere, I tell They're you. outsourcing New Zealand calls to the U.S. That's kind of backwards, isn't it? But I, I thought it was kind of funny. I forget what I asked. I think I asked about roaming charges and how much it would cost to call New Zealand. I'm sorry, the U.S. from New Zealand. I know it varies from... Uh, provider to provider and it's interesting that t-mobile here which is who we ha- who we now have seems to at least for the countries i've called if you don't have a discount plan it's a flat three bucks a minute which is not bad that's like you hideously know, UK, Australia, new zealand places that i'd normally call because who else do i know new zealand new zealand but you anyway um those are my questions and my comments i guess prince is cute as usual say bye prince Bye, Prince. Say, I love you. Love you. Oh. Yeah, I don't know if you heard him or not. Yeah. But yeah, he's, he says yeah. bye-bye oh. and such. <laughs> so. he's, he's, he's lovely. If you are going to call internationally and you use Office 365, which is such a good investment, then you've got 30 minutes of Skype 
calling credit a month as part of your Office 365 subscription. Don't go around paying three bucks a minute, mate. Gosh, there are much cheaper ways to call internationally than that. I think in pondering your primary question, it may depend on whether you use Windows. If you are steeped purely in the Apple ecosystem, so you're only using the Mac and you're only using Safari, I don't know what the value proposition would be of using 1Password and paying for it. If all you're interested in is just password management. The reason why I like 1Password is that I don't use a Mac and all my passwords are synced across all my devices, iOS and Windows. So there's no way of getting at my passwords stored in iCloud Keychain when I'm using my Microsoft Edge Chromium Beta on Windows. And of course, in 1Password, you can store all sorts of other things, credit cards and um, other information. It's, it's pretty easy to retrieve it. On Windows, you just do a control backslash, which ironically, isn't that the key that's used to bring up um, Vocalize? Did it bring up Windowwise as well? Can't remember. Anyway, control backslash, and you press that, and when you're on a website, you can just log in. It's really, really simple. When you enter a password that you've not entered before, say you're signing up for a new service, 1Password will prompt you to save it if it can detect that you're entering a password for a service that it doesn't know about. What you can also do when you're on a site that you're just signing up with is you can bring up the 1Password manager and go through to the password generator tab and have it generate a password of whatever length or complexity that you like. And then you can press a button to copy that password to the clipboard. You then paste it into the appropriate fields when you're setting up a new account on a site. And when you save your account, 1Password says, do you want to save this login? And you go ahead and you save it. 1Password's pretty smart. It will let you save multiple logins. So I have multiple Twitter accounts I log in with. I have multiple accounts I log in with into the Libsyn podcast host. And when that happens, when you do the control backslash, 1Password just comes up with a list of compatible accounts and you choose which one you want to log into. So I like 1Password very much, but I don't know whether the use case is as compelling if you are exclusively using Apple products. So perhaps somebody who is in that position can comment on it. Nick Zamarelli says, we shouldn't forget, as I'm sure you remember, that Samsung phones have their own screen reader called Voice Assistant, which does have multi-touch. Any doubt, all one need do is to go back and listen to your excellent demo of the Galaxy S8. That's right. And that's one of the reasons why I was quite taken with the Galaxy S8. If they would just put robust Braille support into that Voice Assistant screen reader... I would be absolutely delighted. Absolutely delighted. Here's Rebecca Kalyani. Wondering, has anyone had problems with Uber and VoiceOver? After the iOS update, it hasn't worked as well as before. VO doesn't read certain things. I've tried to contact Uber 
and have gotten nowhere. Do you know how we get in touch with the right people to fix it? I don't, Rebecca. (laughs) Getting in touch with Uber is one of the most frustrating experiences. And I had this issue a few months ago with Uber Eats when they had some serious problems. You you would start selecting multiple items from a list in Uber and it would just crash on you. Awful. And talking to them about it was like talking to a boss. And in fact, sometimes it's getting harder to tell now whether you are talking to artificial intelligence or whether you're not. I have not actually experienced any, any problems. So maybe others can comment, but I use Uber quite a bit, and so far so good for me. Jonathan Mosin, Mosin at Large Podcast. Brian Gaff is back on the Dropbox question, and he says that if you don't like the newfangled Dropbox malarkey, you can go into settings, and there is a kind of a combo box-like control that you can set which puts the Dropbox view back to using File Explorer. And Stan Luttrell, he confirms that Control Backslash was indeed the Windowize and the Vocalize hotkey. Yes, that brings back memories. Hey, Jonathan, it's Mike Fair. And hey, Mike. Enjoying your show as I usually do. And uh, yeah, uh, just up early again today. It was up at like three something. So. Good on you, mate. <laughs> yeah, one of these longer days. But uh, overall, things, I think, are going pretty well, other than, of course, the continued Ulysses uh, wait for yes. them to fix where, that. Where is it? Where is it? Uh, you were mentioning mechanical keyboards. I, uh, I really am enjoying a 60% keyboard uh, that I have. It's got, six. I think it's 63 keys total, counting uh, arrow keys uh, as part of that, of course. Um, and uh, it, it's... The reds, I like the red switches, uh, personally, and they, uh, the company name was Diaria, uh, which a lot of people read as diarrhea. I was going <laughs> to say. They're really, they finally caught on to how embarrassing that could be, and they're switching it to Keymove. Mm. It, 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 I, I can't help observing it does sound like something one might catch if one had been a very naughty boy, but anyway. <laughs> So that's a, uh, it took them long enough to clue into that, but I guess it doesn't hurt uh, them being noticed. But it is a really nice, uh, fairly inexpensive keyboard. I got it for something like 50-something dollars on uh, Amazon. Of course, that's Canadian dollars. And uh, with, with red switches, which I really wanted, um, and uh, that, that has really, despite the fewer keys, is really nice to type on. It, uh, it just feels you know, nice and, uh, and crisp and and good feeling uh, typing on that. So, uh, yeah, uh, I have another keyboard that's sort of flatter um, that uh, isn't mechanical. And that that's quieter. I'll probably use that more when I'm traveling. But for at my desk, it's a really nice little keyboard um, that uh, – it, it, now, one thing I'm not sure – what do you know what difference – how come some accessories report their battery levels to – Apple uh, to like iOS and you can check them in the uh, battery level widget and other ones don't because they're, they're both Bluetooth, you know, they're both Bluetooth keyboards, but one of them I have will do that and the other one won't. Uh, and, and same with some headsets and things as well. Like some of them will and, and some of them don't. And I, I don't know what the, 
is it the Bluetooth version? What determines? I, th- I which think it is. Accessories yes. report their battery details uh, at levels to uh, to Apple, uh, or I guess not to Apple, but to your iPhone. Uh, I've never really uh, understood that. I believe it is the Bluetooth version that is the variable there. Yes, and it is nice, isn't it? When you go into the battery widget and you can see how all your Bluetooth accessories are performing. Although I have to say. My newfangled made-for-iPhone hearing aids from Oticon, the Bluetooth is not particularly accurate in reporting its uh, battery percentage. It's kind of all over the place. Hi, Jonathan. What? It's the old man. The old man. Mushroom FM's oldest fun guy. I've been listening with interest to your comments about Apple. I have a story which is not good. And you may know about this. I haven't corresponded with you about this. I have an Apple TV third generation, and as you know, it doesn't allow one to install apps, but I am able to use it to listen as I am right now to Mushroom FM, and I have it connected to my Yamaha audio receiver through a converter from uh, Optilec, not Optilec, Optilec. you know what I mean, uh, to uh, analog, and it works very well. However, as of about a month ago, apparently Apple dropped a whole bunch of what they're calling, quote, small, unquote, stations, at least in the U.S., because a station that I and a number of your other listeners listen to, I know that they do, is no longer available in my Apple TV, but I can receive you just fine. And I don't want to say anything to them because I don't want this to become an issue where they say, oh, I guess our international companies are not doing what we did in the U.S. and dropping all of these small stations. Anyway, I thought you ought to know about that in case all of a sudden out of the blue somebody calls you or emails you or tweets you and says, I can't get Mushroom FM on an older Apple TV anymore. And I don't think that I should have to buy a fourth generation solely to be able to run an app to listen to radio that I've been able to listen to on this device for ever, as it seems. I've had it since 2014. Anyway, that's that's the old man's point of view, right? Get off my lawn. Talk to you soon. Mm. Bye-bye. I think what's happening, Steve, is that that Apple TV third generation is using the iTunes radio directory And I'm not even sure if the radio directory is in iTunes anymore. Of course, iTunes is not a thing in Mac land at all now. But in iTunes for Windows, I think they may have dropped the radio. So that particular directory is sort of an ex-parrot. You know what I mean? It's, It's going away. So come on, treat yourself to a 70th birthday present and get the latest Apple TV 4K. You'll be able to run all sorts of cool apps and it'll be marvellous. Nancy, get him an Apple TV for a 70th. You know you want to. And look who's in the studio, Bonnie Mosin and Eclipse the Dog to Eclipse All Dogs. Squeaking her, is that Eclipse squeaking her squeaker? I'm squeaking it by the Whoa, microphone. Squeaking the squeaker. 
Welcome to you. Hello, how are you? I'm super well. It's nice to have this nice long weekend. Yeah, my first holiday. It's great as an employee.、It's、oh,、wonderful. I see. Yes, you. Yes, it, yes, it is. It's、yes. nice. You can really appreciate it. You don't have to go into work tomorrow. I'm finally coming to terms with the idea of、um, moving. Yeah. This is a big thing because I've been in this、Moving、house for is a big thing. nearly eleven years. Well,、uh-huh. yes, it is a bit, and that's the thing that's daunting. When you consider, you convinced me, you lobbied, you cajoled, you persuaded, you advocated, and you said we had to spend twenty thousand dollars on a new kitchen, and then you want to move. We well, had to. We, we, you said we had to recarpet the whole house, and now you want to move. Well, I mean, if we're going to sell the house, whether it's today or、uh, five years from now. You've done great. I have been feverishly fevering away over all this home automation. You know, we 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 tell our personal assistants to set the temperature, to turn on different lights, to do all these security things, and it all happens. And now you want to move? Well, that adds value to the house. <sighs> oh, just the thought of starting all over again. Oh, it's terrible, terrible. But we have to find the right place.、First. We have to find the right place. Yeah. Yes, a little bit closer to our respective. Yeah, because the commute's getting a bit out of hand sometimes. Out of hand. Because I mean, look how quickly we got into the city yesterday. Yes, it was nice and pleasant, wasn't it? <laughs>、uh, well, I, I was on a, a little radio show yesterday, and.、Um, That being Saturday New Zealand time, and wow, you just whooshed on in there. I allowed a good half hour to get there, and we were there in ten minutes, yeah, twelve, twelve minutes or so. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, it's um, it would be nice to live somewhere a lot closer because that way, if I get off early, because I could flex my schedule around, then I could actually cook dinner. Okay, and we wouldn't have to rely on Primal Kitchen for the next thousand years. Ah, but we're getting good quality meals with the Primal Kitchen, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Good quality paleo mixture of both, low carb ketogenic Mm -hmm. meals, absolutely tremendous. But yeah, so we're looking. There's always new. There's a lot of apartment buildings being built in Wellington, so I'm not sure whether I would want to go into a building or a townhouse. I sort of would like a little townhouse because at least you have an outside area. In kind of a neighborhood, but you don't see that many in the city, so you'd have to look like Newtown or Thorndon, something like that, which wouldn't be too bad. I make a couple of points. Point number one is we've had some pretty significant earthquakes in the time that I've been living here,、mm-hmm. and while the really severe ones we have felt with, with a jolt, we've been quite fortunate. The other point I would make is that we're. Miles away from the water, so when we get all these tsunami threats,、mm-hmm. we don't have to worry.、Oh. And the other point I would make, and this is the most important one, is that we're in a nice, peaceful neighbourhood. We've got a bit of land around us,、mm-hmm. and we can crank up the jolly old crank it up Sonos.、Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like being able to kind of put the wall on, and when the tear down the wall bit comes on, you know, you crank up the sub to the max,、mm-hmm. and the whole house is rocking with it. I don't want to be in a constrained environment where I keep being pinged by the neighbours to turn it down.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a real issue. Yeah. Yeah. So how you know how are we going to resolve well, we this? We just find somewhere that we can live.、Mm. You know. Now I have a question for you. Uh huh.、Mm. You know that during the Canadian election campaign, uh huh, Justin Trudeau—that's your actual French, by the way—he、mm-hmm. was pinged, I think, twice, wasn't he? Yeah. Pinged twice for 
the blackface thing. So he uh-huh. was uh, he was impersonating yeah. um, African Americans or other other people of color, and it got me thinking. I think that blind people and perhaps disabled people in general should start taking a much greater stand in the blindness context, what I would call blind face, Mm -hmm. where people think that somehow they can get an understanding of what it's like to be blind by blindfolding themselves. And I personally find this actually quite offensive because it takes away from us our ability to to relate to have dialogue with people about the Mm -hmm. genuine experience of what it's like to be a blind person i get really worried that in some of these situations people put a blindfold on suddenly they're deprived of this really dominant sense and so they come away from the experience thinking being blind is a terrible horrible Mm -hmm. disempowering thing and When I was standing for Parliament in 1993, the first time, I actually did a media release on this because the Foundation for the Blind, as it was then, had an event where, as part of their fundraising campaign, which they then called Braille Week in those days, they had a bunch of celebrities tossing pancakes, making a mess of the pancake toss because they were blindfolded. Mm -hmm. And... Basically, it was, see how difficult it is to be blind, so give money generously. And I thought that was terrible. And I did a media release saying I just felt that it was absolutely inappropriate. And, of course, I was working for the Foundation for the Blind as well, uh, taking a break while I was standing for Parliament. So it was all interesting. I got pilloried for that by a lot of blind people. But I wonder what you think of this whole blind face thing. I have mixed feelings about it. I think if done in a controlled environment, it's good. Um, as an educational tool, I don't think you need to tell people to go out, oh, put a blindfold on and see if you can cook dinner because you're not going to be able to do it because you haven't had the skills. I think maybe having a mentor with you and saying, okay, you try to do this. Now let's let Joe do this and, you know, see he can do it because he has the experience of it. So I think if you use it as an educational tool, in a controlled environment, it's not so bad. But I think if you – because I, I've had to do that as part of PR and different things like that. But I think that just going out and saying, okay, put blindfold on and do this, then that's not going to work, you know. It does bring to mind that pretty infamous campaign from – was it the Foundation yeah, Fighting, Fighting Blindness? Blindness? Which does a lot of good stuff, you know. Where they got people yeah, very upset, to do YouTube yeah. videos. Yeah, that of, was a bit ridiculous. But I also understand – It was incredibly – not only ridiculous, it was incredibly damaging it in was, my view. It was. But I also understand fundraising that, you know, as much as you don't like it, people aren't going to give – to something if they think it's all, you know, oh, well, if you're able to do all this stuff, then why should I give money, you know? And I, I think that's right. And Starving I think children in Africa. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly right. And, and I think that raises another question, which is why in 2019 are there countries where core rehabilitation services are being funded through charitable donations in this way? Because you know, blind people shouldn't have to have their dignities no. dragged through mm-hmm. the mud for the provision of critical rehabilitation services. But in the United States, you don't really have that issue, do you? Because It's all government-funded. We don't have it. I mean, yeah. the only ones that, may, that do have fundraisers are your guide dog schools, 
And some of the, I guess, Lighthouse still does fundraising, and some of the like Carroll Center and some of those that's that, that and they do get funding from Voc Rehab, which gets government funding, but they also have fundraising galas. And I'm like not saying that no guide dog school has ever done a dodgy fundraiser, but the thing is. The guide dog schools have got the cute puppies to fall oh, back course. on, haven't they? And oh, yeah. So, dogs are always going to raise money. Yeah. And right? so it's a always. bit easier for them because they've got the and cute dogs puppies. They're always going to raise baby animals. And yeah, they do. But I mean, I've seen even the guide dog schools a bit. You know, if you read the the marketing brochures, it sounds like it's, the, it's just having a guide dog makes your life perfect. Mm. Because people don't want to know that it's a lot of hard work. I mean, I fell for that, too, when I started, oh, man, you get a dog and it just takes you everywhere. And, it, you know, it's always so perfectly trained. But, you know, if you start saying behind it, well, that's a lot of hard work, you know. Yes. And people don't want to hear that. If you're pulling out your pocketbook, oh, I just, you know, people have what are the attention span of a goldfish or a gold, you know, they just, oh, wonderful dog led the owner through Harvard and, oh. Ooh, this and this is incredible. They don't want to know about the fact that, you know, well, it took them a long time to get used to the dog, and sometimes the dog isn't perfect. And, you know, they want to hear these incredible stories about how the dog saved their life. And it is quite exciting, sort of funny, the way that people have these super power images of what a guide dog does you know the guide dog reads signage for blind people and all these things and i've had reporters ask me has your dog ever saved your life and i'm like my dog saves my life every day you know it's and and i think they're kind of taken back by it i mean i the other day example we were walking down adelaide road there was a skateboarder plowing towards us at four million miles an hour and, and she swerved left yeah, but that's part of her job. I mean, there aren't these, and I don't, I always joke that I don't really want to know what my dog has kept me safe from because I'd probably never go out. Of course, if you were a white cane user and that skateboarder was coming at you at four million miles an hour, bye bye skateboarder because the, the cane would have gone under the wheels and wee <laughs> off with the skateboarder. Yeah. I mean, th- that is one of the things. I mean, I know that the freedom of movement and the fluidity of travel. Yeah, notwithstanding all the hard work mm-hmm. um, of being a guide dog handler is fantastic. But one of the frustrating things about the fundraising side of guide dogs is that people do think, a lot of sighted people do think that if you don't have a guide dog, mm-hmm. somehow you're not capable oh, yeah. of independent travel. It's almost like the guide dogs are a comfort to blind oh, people, a lot of to sighted people, to you. Yeah. because like, they think that we're being taken care of. Yeah, but I mean, it's people are funny. It's It's... It's um, and I always tell people, you know, it's a choice, and that makes them stop and think. Not all blind people have guide dogs. I Not remember- all blind people want to have guide dogs. No, you know? I remember somebody oh, once, okay. somebody once saying to me, "Where's your dog?" You know, like assuming that I and I have had one dog, and mm-hmm. it was a great partnership um, that went for about eight years. But uh, on this occasion, I didn't have a dog, and somebody said, "Where's your dog?" And I said, "Oh my goodness, I've left it on the train," and they were they were absolutely shocked at the idea that yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, Aladdin apparently enjoyed the squeaking. Did he very oh. much the squeaking of the toy? That's Sarah Hillis's C and R dog. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's we got into a discussion on fundraising the other day at work about how that some people, and there are people who actually will come up and pet the dog because they've given money and they think that's their right. Yes, because I think that, yes, that gives them the right to pet the dog because they've donated. 
Yeah, it's remarkable. So should there be government funding of guide dog programs? Oh, God, no. See, this is a U.S. reaction. No, I can't even comprehend. I don't want to come Because the beauty of the guide dog schools is they can they can choose who they want to take as a student. And you know, there are eligibility requirements. They, they have to, you know, a person has to need the dog, want the dog, that sort of thing. And I think that if the government got involved, it would just be a disaster. Yeah, it's definitely the American response. I can't even comprehend what it would be like. I don't mm-hmm. want – because I think they would be putting all these regulations on it that, you know, you need to accept anybody if they're blind because they're not going to understand that not all blind people are created equal. Not all blind people can handle having a guide dog. Hmm. You know, because having a guide dog is a privilege. It's not a right. You know, it really is – you do not have the right to have a guide dog. It's a privilege. Hmm. And I think it would just be, I think it would be horrible. And someone told me in Germany that insurance companies pay for guide dogs. I'm not sure what's what that's all about. But no, I think keep the guide dog schools as, as nonprofits. They hmm. seem to all be doing well in the fundraising department, I think. so. And some of them are sponsored by... I mean, Lions Clubs gives to, I think, all the guide dog schools, but I think there's a couple that they tend to either have started, you know, back in the day or uh, give more money to. But no, no, Lee, they're, they're doing fine. Let them let them not get government funding. But, but isn't the counter argument that you do risk this misconception about the role of guide dogs continuing to be a thing because the the guide dog schools have to fundraise and so people have this idea that a blind person without a dog is somehow less independent than a blind person with a dog and it's the fundraising that does that because they have to make a case for people to give money and i think the way i mean i can't speak for other schools but i know that the way the seeing eye did it was or does it is they try to spotlight the independence people have and by talking to the graduates, you know, if they do an article or whatever. And I know when I would do public outreach and stuff, I would always say, you know, I would always make it clear that having a guide dog is not for everybody. And it's a very small percentage of people who work guide dogs. You do have to have some cane techniques and some orientation. And I was always very clear on that. And I think people got it. And, you know, if you could compare it to something that they understood, like the responsibility of driving a car, because a lot of people never understood why little children didn't have guide dogs. Um, but, you know, if you could if you could compare it to something that they understood, and I, I think you just, you have to do it in a way that you can still raise money. And, but also, you know, you can be independent with the dog, but you can be independent with the cane, too. But some people choose to use a dog, and they always will. You know, even if we get these incredible artificially intelligent robots or whatever, there there's always mm. going to be people that are going to use dogs. My I mean, little that, guide bot. A guide bot. I mean, there's always going to be people yeah. that are going to choose to use guide dogs. That's that's just the reality of it. Well, taking it full circle, if we move, mm-hmm. and it's a big if, if we move, 
I really do hope that the new regime at the artist formerly formerly known as the Blind Foundation allows for ownership of dogs again, which was the case when I was its chairman and then they Mm -hmm. took it away. Uh, I will not go to a guide dog school where I can't own my dog. Mm -hmm. But I'd be interested. I mean, you know, if we're sort of living in the central city and I Mm -hmm. could walk to work, I can definitely see benefits of Mm -hmm. having a dog again. They're also a good icebreaker. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're let's face it, they're good sort of PR, aren't oh, they? When yes. You, Sometimes you know, it gets annoying. Schmoozing people. People want to talk about the dog. Yes. And people say, what's your dog's name? And sometimes you are naughty because sometimes you give a fictitious Yeah, a lot, Yeah, we name. do that because you don't want you people do. calling the dog. No. no. Of course, a lot of people think Eclipse is Lizzie. Yeah, I noticed you called her Lizzie yesterday. Did I? Yeah, somebody said, what's the... What's the dog's name when you said Lizzie oh, to someone? I forgot. Large Podcast. People are upset in the UK about the BBC taking their streams, or most of them anyway, from TuneIn in the UK. And I know this because people have been whinging on about it on the famous BBC feedback program on Radio 4. But of course they do have their own little smart skill in the UK version of the um, Amazon ecosystem. And then there's this that came through from the BBC press office over the week. It says, with more people using smart speakers than ever before, the BBC was reinventing the way it delivers news on voice devices. Today, which was a few days ago now, the BBC is launching the UK's first interactive voice news service, to help people navigate a complex and ever-changing news agenda and get closer to the stories that matter to them. People who use smart speakers can now skip ahead to the stories they have time for and find out more about the stories that grab their attention by saying, Give me BBC News! to a soup drinker-enabled device. They'll also be able, it says here, to access additional content from a range of sources, including specialist pieces, reporting interviews and features from BBC News, many specialist reporters and correspondents who add new angles on the day's emerging news stories, flexible bulletins. Listeners can get news bulletins at a time and length that suits them not restricted by the BBC schedules and can explore longer interviews or stories that are forced to make way for breaking news. The BBC archives, where relevant clips and interviews from the BBC's vast radio archives will supplement current stories, providing invaluable context and voices from the past, like Theresa May. (laughs) While the BBC's Traditional bulletins might only have time to play a short clip of a speech in the House of Commons. Dude, people who use smart speakers who'd like more detail on the story can now decide to listen to the speech in full. As well as this, listeners could also take a trip down memory lane with the BBC archives and delve into past interviews from stars currently in the news agenda. Hello, Jonathan, says for us. Hi, for us, says Jonathan. I am really enjoying the Mosin at Large podcast that you do pretty much on a weekly basis. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. 
keep that podcast going, he says with an exclamation mark. A question for you. What do you think of the new Samsung Galaxy Fold? People are saying that it's a failure. I haven't used the Galaxy Fold or even played with one for us, so it will be secondhand, but certainly it is an innovative product. I think that's a (laughs) a charitable way of putting it, and they have had some challenges. And I suppose that's the case when you're trying to be first to market. People are looking for a hook, aren't they? Something that says, we are innovating. And Huawei have been working on this foldable phone thing. So have Samsung. And I guess they felt some pressure to come to market. And it's not the first time that a piece of Samsung hardware has been perhaps a little undercooked. So they will probably get there. And particularly, I think, for sight of people who like a big screen, the idea that you can unfold this thing and have a nice big screen when you unfold it, I get the attraction. On the subject of books, he says, I want to tell you that I've always enjoyed reading a book called A Christmas Carol. It's Charles Dickens, of course. That book has changed my life forever. That's awesome. I can understand why. I love that book too, and I try to read it every Christmas. And there was a very nice um, version of it on Audible from a few years ago. It might have been Michael Fair, I think, that put me onto it. And it's 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 dramatized, and it's a brilliant dramatization of a Christmas Carol on Audible. And it is there's a great story in it, isn't there? Just yeah, be be kind to people, live for the things that are important. It's great. And just think, it won't be too long before we can get out the Christmas music again. And I guess we'll be thinking about the Mushroom FM top 100 Christmas countdown again and what will get to number one. Have you ever wondered whether dark mode might give you extra battery life? I have actually wondered this because it occurred to me that dark mode could use a lot less energy because it's less intensive on the screen. Well, it turns out it's true. It is true, because using an iPhone XS as the test device, PhoneBuff, which is sort of, I don't know, their phone testing organization or a blog or something anyway, PhoneBuff employed robotic arms to do various things throughout iOS while in light mode and then in dark mode. And this included using the Messages app and navigating in Google Maps watching a YouTube video, and a whole bunch of other tasks as well. The end result is actually quite impressive. PhoneBuff's test found that the iPhone XS using dark mode drained battery at a much slower pace than the iPhone XS using light mode. The big caveat here is that most of the difference comes from the fact that the iPhone XS is using an OLED display. So if you have an R-type device, so the iPhone XR or maybe the iPhone 11, you may not see quite the same dramatic, and I think it was like 30% improvement in battery life. If you've got the iPhone 11 Pro or Pro Max or you've got the XS, then you should definitely switch to dark mode, unless, of course, you have a visual reason for not doing so. If you've got low vision and dark mode makes it harder for you, then you you don't want to do that. But if you're a voiceover user, 
there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't turn dark mode on. And I have to say, with dark mode on, on my 11 Pro Max and the phenomenal battery, it's insane. I mean, yesterday, for example, I took my phone off charge at 8.30 in the morning. Uh, throughout the day, I made calls. I used various apps. I kept the screen on for you know, quite a few hours, but I was reading a Kindle book. Uh, it was a very active day with my phone, using it for leisure things. You know, I caught up on Twitter, all those sorts of things. So the, the screen was on a lot during that time. I finally put it on charge when I thought about hitting the hay just after midnight. And when I did, the battery level was still on 54%. So that was after 15, 16 hours of really quite reasonable use. Neat, isn't it? We've come a long way, baby. But give that dark mode a shot. Even if you do have an R device, you may get some battery life improvement if you don't have the OLED display. Turn on the dark mode. Go to the dark side. Mosin at Large Podcast. Here's Steve Cutway again. He says, I haven't popped out to buy an Apple TV fourth generation. Nancy's response to your instruction was, well, less than enthusiastic, unless, she said, you really want it. Oh, that's nice. And I'm not yet convinced, says Steve, that I do. However, should the radio directory go away completely, I'll have to. Either that or spend more money on an AV receiver with Bluetooth. We were looking at those online earlier today. Now, here's an interesting idea, Steve. Your 70th birthday, the beginning of this new decade of life, could be the moment that you usher Sonos into your life. And as I understand your setup, you have a great pair of speakers that you really like. So presumably they're feeding into an amp that has various inputs. What you could do for fairly minimal cost is purchase the Sonos Connect. There's a new version of it, and I just can't remember now what they're calling it. I think the new version has AirPlay support as well, which would be really nice. But then you could just plug that in. You know, it's got RCAs, and you could set that to one of your inputs. And then you could use your Soup Drinker device. You could use Siri, all those kinds of things. Just tell it to play whatever you want, you know, you play Mushroom FM and it will just play it on your system. And you'd have the Sonos app with all the services that it affords for a fairly minimal investment and you wouldn't have to part with the precious speakers that, you know, I completely understand you like the sound of. and yeah, But you could get a Sonos Connect or, gosh, I wish I could remember what they now call it, and um, and just integrate Sonos into your system that way. That would be better. I mean, if you're not overly fussed on all the TV-type services that Apple TV has to offer, that could be the way forward. That wraps it up. Another edition of the Mosin at Large podcast. To be in touch, Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com with an audio attachment or an email, or you can call the listener line 864-60-MOSIN, 864-606-6736. Mosin at Large.